welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So I have, uh, I have some unique anticipation for our time together. I'm, my goal is to accomplish some things this morning that I have never done. I, <laughs> well, man, your guys' anticipation is exhilarating. <clears throat> so uh, to start, I would like to pray if you would allow me. Father, I thank you for this glorious beloved family. I thank you that even already in, this, in worship this morning, you were revealing your heart as our good father and your desire to father us in this journey of life. And so right now, as your son, I yield to the spirit of Christ on the inside of me, the master, the teacher, who is sent to reveal all the truth that our Savior Jesus has told us in his word. And so we open our hearts up for what you want to do in each of us individually and intimately. And I pray together with all the ones that I greatly love in the name of our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Mighty heroes, your Lord is with you. And in that verse, I want to highlight something. I'm going to go off on a mini tangent, and I'm going to come back. So be patient. The Lord is with you. If any of you seen Doc Ryan's post, I think it was yesterday, he and I have had an ongoing conversation for quite some time about obviously the, the status of Christianity in our world today. We both have a, a zeal, a deep passionate zeal for discipleship and, and kingdom living and authentic biblical version of Christianity, and a lot of our conversations are taken up with our kind of our general disappointment as to what we see it look like in our world today, and not necessarily as that breaks down to people individually, but the fact that whatever the version of something is, if you see it enough, you're going to believe that that's the version. I'm going to give you an example. Awesome. Everybody in here has probably used that word already today two or three times. 
because everything's awesome. This coffee's awesome. That music was awesome. My hair looks awesome. <laughs> Those of us that have it. <laughs> who, why are you ooing? Like they don't know. Wait, what? Where'd it go? And, and I know that you might think that I'm like meddling or I'm goofing off or something. Like, I get it. We all use awesome. But I, I want you to understand that whenever we start to, to change things from what their intended purpose was, i.e., the garden, man, and woman, the world has changed the purpose of man and the purpose of woman into whatever version they want it to be. And that's just one tiny, and I'm not gonna go down that road today so everybody, you can exhale. But whenever you change things from what their original intentions were, you will never have the benefit of what the creator intended for those things to be. So back to awesome. Awesome means deserving of awe. And what Doc Ryan's post was about yesterday, there, there was a lot of innuendos in there, but one of the main contexts that I want to pearl up pull out from that post was he used the word sacred. And probably nobody, if very anybody, in even this gathering of the greatest church in the universe. Amen. 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 Two of you agree. That's right. <laughs> that we don't even really know what sacred is. And what God calls sacred it's just regular for us, up to and including in today's world, God himself. God's regular, right? He's everywhere. We can talk to him anytime we want to. Uh, not that long ago, I just had a conversation, and this just reminded me, because I've had this conversation a hundred times, and obviously now we're in deer season, and so I'm not picking on anybody specific, so don't anybody get your undies in a bunch. But I've had so many people tell me, so many guys obviously especially say, well, I worship God in my own way. The way I worship God is in a deer stand covered in deer urine looking to shed some blood. That's how me and God hang out. We pal. You know, me and God are tight, bro. He's not sacred. He's not deserving of all. He's just some other random dude in your life. You know, he's like a cool dude, or a popular cool dude. And you know, and every once in a while we're like, yeah, you're the, you're the best. You're awesome, and my cat is awesome, and pizza's awesome. And because everything is awesome, now nothing is awesome. 
because everything to you is sacred, now nothing is sacred. A deer stand covered in urine, sacred. That's how I worship the Lord. That is my praise and my worship to the Lord, skipping church on Sunday so I can be in a deer stand to worship God. And I'm not totally, I don't, I don't know who's here or who's not. I, please don't do that to me. This was just a reminder of how much our culture has nothing sacred. The gathering together of the saints, not sacred. I can go, I cannot. What we do with our time, with our affection, with our money, it's not sacred. Just life, it's just life, bro. Just what we do. My wife, another random girl, just happens to have a ring on it. So I can treat her any way I want to because she's not sacred to me. And, and you, can, you can kind of feel it even right now. You can feel the hush on it because I'm just using the word. I'm not even picking on anybody in here. And there's a hush on it because we know what I'm saying is right. We've lost this. And remember how our Lord taught us, Lord, sacred, how our sacred Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's hallowed? What, what even is that? It's sacred. And I was, I, was, I was thinking about this when we were singing Good, Good Father. There's a, there's a gamut of responses, even in a room like this, even in a room of the weird, crazy, <laughs> zealous church where a lot of you are wheels off, hair on fire, Jesus lovers. But even in a room like this, there's going to be a gamut of responses to good, good father because our society, our culture has got daddy issues, lots of daddy issues. If you don't believe me, talk to a psychologist or a psychiatrist because they're both making millions off all the daddy issues that you've been told you need to have. Less than 50% of our children being born right now are born into fathered Homes. It's disgusting. And so we sing a song about a good, good father. And we take our daddy issues into good, good father. Or you've been redeemed from your daddy issues and you understand heavenly father. And so you sing to your heavenly father who's got nothing on daddy. And those people are the ones that tend to be like, good, good father, that's right. I have a heavenly father who's worthy of my gratitude, who's sacred to me, who was nothing like that guy on this earth that didn't do the thing right. And those people, when you see it, like, 
our worship team is trained by our incredibly amazing leader, Pastor Ryan Smith, who is one year wiser. <laughs> We're trained to, to not get lost up here. And I've got to be honest, like I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, because sometimes I'm, I'm up here and it's just me and Jesus and the drums. And I, and I got I to gotta remember I'm with you. And so I'd, it's incumbent upon all of us worshipers to, 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 to be aware of the room and you and who's there and who's not so that we can be praying while we're worshiping and, and leading and trying to bring you into where we're at. So if we look across the room and we see you and you're playing Candy Crush on your phone just hoping that it gets over. We'll actually, like, on purpose focus on you, like, we want to take you to where we're at. And so our worship team uniquely scans the room because most worship teams, if you just go watch a YouTube of some random worship team, they're all got their eyes closed and they're all doing their own little personal thing. We're trained better than that. We have a, a better leader. And in a song like Good, Good Father, there's such a simplistic concept. You can, you can just get it in the room that it, there's, it's all the way from 10 plus to just above zero. Because that is a tenuous subject, Father. If Father is tenuous, if Heavenly Father is tenuous, if that's hard, how much harder, Lord? Sacred. You guys have heard me lean into this a little bit in the past, but I'll declare it very clearly. This is one of the greatest honors of my life, this pulpit. This pulpit is a greater honor to me than my wife. And you guys know, most of you know how I feel about her. And she knows. And she's sitting right there. So I'm not saying something and psst, don't go tell Kay. This pulpit is what God has asked me to do for his kingdom. For his people. I don't approach this to try to get Facebook likes. This isn't, this isn't my attempt at popularity in the world today. <laughs> Those of you that have been around any long, like, if this is me trying to be popu popular, I suck. <laughs> Rip it. <laughs> Th this, isn't, this isn't me trying to, to get everybody's attention. I, I don't have insecurity issues, and I, and I need everybody to look at me and listen to me. And, and do you like me? Do you think I'm cool? Please affirm me. I approach this. This is why you'll always see me minister in a jacket, unless it's some weird thing. You'll always see me minister in a jacket. You'll always see me bring reverence to this moment, to this place, because this is a sacred space for me. I don't get to do whatever I want to right here. I don't get to say what I want to. I don't get to think what I want to. I don't get to feel what I want to. I come into his sacred space with his responsibilities to do things that literally, literally could be eternal. Amen. A billion years from now, 
Jesus could come to me and he could say, remember November 20th, 2022, when I asked so-and-so to be in your room and they listened to me and they were there and remember what I asked you to say and you didn't and they didn't get what I wanted them to have? We don't look at life like that. We have no sacred spaces. There's no sacred relationships. There's no sacred people. There's even no sacred God. You know what the number one swear word is on people's lips? The cursing of God. And if you think for one second that that statistic is not true among declared Christians, I've been with them. They'll curse God as quick as the sailor in a bar. He's not sacred. And we're going to go into something this morning. that is only going to be people that recognize a sacred God wants to do sacred things with them. And it's going to take humility from all of us. I'm gonna do something I've never done. I'm gonna do some deep exegesis on three verses and then give some explanations of it. And I'm not trying to use theological terms to to make you think I'm cool, but this is just what it's called. Exegesis is like a deep dive. We're gonna do a deep dive on a couple of really common verses, and I'm going to extract for all of us, me as well, the fact that we've missed it. And we don't want, we no longer have the right, the permission to miss it. This is kind of our beloved church Acts moment where Paul was preaching and he said up until this, I think this is Acts 14, 17 or 17, 14 where it says that, he said up until this moment God kind of winked at the way humanity missed it. But he no longer is winking at us missing it. He is calling us all to repentance. No more winks. This is it. We're going into a time that I believe is going to be very remnant of the first church time where people came into sacred space with dishonorable lives and Ananias and Sapphira died in the church with bad hearts because they wanted to cheat God and cheat people out of something in a sacred space. I'm not saying anybody's going to die at Beloved. Don't, don't don't put words in my mouth. I'm saying we're going into a time where God is going to be looking for the reverence and the sacred among his people. And those people are going to accomplish great things with their God. They will do exploits and accomplish great things. And there's going to be a whole other slew of people using his name in vain who have zero reverence and zero sacredness for him or what he wants to do, and they are gonna be left behind. Not 
using rapture language, I'm not scaring anybody. If it scares you and you think that you need to get on track, then you have already missed it. If you think scaring you into doing what God wants you to do is the way that, is the, is the right way to do it, you've missed it. If you need to be scared into action by anybody, including God, your heart's already a wreck and you probably need to be born again. God is beckoning us in his goodness. He's a good, good father. And he wants to take us to good, good places. He's beckoning us in his love. But there also is this reverence of who he is. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed of great reverence to revere deeply. Committed Jews will not use the name of God. That's why you might know about the Tetragrammaton, which is the four letters. J-Y-H-V, which is what we call Jehovah. But the reason that they have those four letters is because they won't let them actually use the name of God because it's so sacred, it's so holy, you can't utter it from your human lips. And so we're just gonna write it in four letters. And don't you dare say it. That's the reverence that they had for Lord. And now you say Lord and you think of a movie. You, you, you think of some cartoon that's got King Arthur characters in it or, or even... Who's the basketball player? Yep. Who calls himself King James? He's King James. There was a Bible that was sacred and holy that was dedicated to King James in 1620. And now King James, the basketball player, whose life is covered in filth, is the new King James? And nobody cares. There's people out there declare themselves to be God and folks will line up. Who was it? Cinderella told me that she went to a concert and they had innumerable amounts of satanic things happening at this conference and these people were just loving it. Loving it. Overtly worshiping Satan. We live in a time. You, you used to hear me say, you know, Satan never shows up at your door with a, with a hooker and a plate of cocaine. He would never do that. Nobody would be like, oh, hey, welcome, come on in. I can't say it anymore because I honestly believe that he would show up at people's doors like that now and they'd be like, eh, come on in. I know you're Satan, but that's how we roll in today's world. If you're going to be a hero and embrace this heroic character and nature that God has for you, realize heroes are not one out of ten, one out of five, every other. The reason that hero stands out is because it's one in ten thousand, one in a hundred, one in a million. 
How many churches stood up against the government? Why, was, why were we dragged across? National media vilified. Why did we have bomb threats and shooting threats? Why did they, why did they threaten to come and kill my wife and kill my daughter and my son? Because I wanted to have the church open. Why? Because we were one in tens of thousands of churches. Because the other tens of thousands of churches said, whoa, 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 play the game. Shut down. Put on the mask. Stay in your closet. Hide. It's a mean virus. It jumps plexiglass, don't you know? <laughs> and we said, we have a sacred duty of the gathering together of the saints. That verse is sacred to me. When I come here with y'all, I'm not bored on Sunday. And I need some people in my life. This is a sacred moment for me. If you embrace this calling for being the hero, that the spirit of Christ on the inside of you wants to create you into, you are going to uniquely stand out in a sea of darkness in this culture. And the reason I'm saying this is because I'm trying to prepare you that if you really truly embrace this, what you're asking for is that world to hate you. And that's the call of God. Amen. And it's sacred. And it's hard. And people fail every day. But not you. Not you. Colossians 1.27 says, and I've changed Gentiles to beloved, so I'm going to just speak this from my heart the way it's in my heart. God did this because he wanted you, beloved, you, to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. He has a mystery for you. And that mystery is, he's telling you the mystery. And that mystery is that Christ lives in you. The sacred Christ, the revered, the awesome Christ, the creator of the world, the author of all life, lives in you, lives, doesn't visit lives the most sacred of all things in the universe God himself lives on the inside of you do you believe that your body is sacred that this is a sacred space or is it just your body you can do whatever you want to with it 
And I, I'm gonna stop right there because I start saying stuff and there's gonna be people in here that I'm, we're just gonna have to lock the doors to keep you in. Because if I go there, you talk to people about their personal lifestyles, you talk to people about their marriage, you talk to people about their money, you talk to people about their children, I'll empty this church out in 45 minutes flat, start the time clock. We don't talk about these things. Nobody is allowed to tell us about these things. Stay out. Now tell me, give me the three points to a happy life. Give me the four principles to living my most successful week ever. But you stay out of that other stuff. I don't need no preacher coming and telling me about my marriage. I got it all figured out. Amen. Christ lives in you. The sacred Lord. And he is your hope of sharing, sharing in God's glory. Imagine the mercy and the grace of God that he wants to share with you. Yeah, you. The one that looked at you in the mirror this morning. Amen. And unless you're young and pretty like these people, when you looked in the mirror, you didn't see the glory of God this morning. <laughs> Everybody laughing? You got it. <laughs> but God did. You don't see yourself the way he does. The day you do. The day you do. Watch out, Satan. The most popular and accepted sins, I made it plural, in the Americanized, progressive, modern, churchianity, Christian. See how I'm growing my adjectives? Y'all impressed? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Stop it. You're messing with all my fun words. But that's what we got. We have an Americanized, progressive, modern, churchianity, Christianity. And in that version, that faux version, that fake version, that inauthentic version, those two sins that permeate that culture are four-letter F-words of fear and feel because those are the motivators of the lives that live in that version. That version, which is not really, Paul said, Paul said, I'm preaching to you the gospel, which is not another gospel. And if you break that down in the Greek, he used the word heteros and allos. And heteros means different of a different kind. That's where we get the word hetero, or, uh, heterosexual. I'm attracted to K. A lot. She's sacred space. Hetero means same of a different kind. She's, she's same. We're both of the God kind 
but she's the female version of the god kind. I'm the male version of the god kind. Same and different. But allos is exactly the same. So Paul said, I came to preach a gospel, which is not another gospel, but it's the gospel. I didn't come to preach another heteros, different gospel. I came to preach the same gospel, the exact same gospel. And so you can have two versions of the gospel. You can have heteros, different gospel, still call it good news. Hey, I have a check for you for $1,000. That's good news. It's good news. But it's not the good news. But most people, a $1,000 check would be better news than the good news. Amen. It's just true. Don't get all offend, offended yet. Yeah, I got tons of stuff that'll offend you later. So, so keep your powder dry for right now. But feel and fear are what motivates all of these people in this inauthentic version. Man, I, I fear what society is going to do. I, I fear what culture is going to do. And, and this is what I feel like right now. And fear and feel are leading us into deeper places of this Americanized, progressive, modern, churchianity thing, which is, I'm going to come here, you're going to give me, you're going to make me feel good, you're going to give me some, some warm fuzzies and some duck bumps on my goosebumps, and I'm going to, I'm going to come out of here and, and I can take on the world, because you just built me up. That's, that's not the version we have here. The version we have here is, do you not know that the world has already destroyed you? If you're here and you don't know that the world has already destroyed you, let me burst your bubble. You ain't beating the world. Christ in you is beating the world. That's all you got. If you think in your own strength, you're so awesome. Well, since I'm awesome, well, then I can beat the enemy. You already lost. It ain't your awesomeness. Amen. I've actually stood in places and prophetic lines where they've done these things. And you got the... I'm going to keep my adjectives to myself right now. Like, stop it, Lord. <laughs> You stand in a place where they're handing out prophecies like Pez dispensers, and the first one is, you're so awesome. God thinks you're so pretty. You're so beautiful. Go out there and do it and get it. And I've had those kind of prophecies. And I look at these people like, you're lucky I am a Christian and I love you. Because that ain't a prophecy. That's a, that's a feelacy. I, Mitchell gave me an up thumb right off the I think that was from God you're not awesome you're not beautiful you're not lovely you're not amazing you're not, you're not any of that stuff because you weren't any of that stuff God brought his awesome God brought his amazing. God brought his beauty. God brought his power. God brought, and then he infused it to the inside of you so you are not, he is, be like him. Yeah. If you can do it in your strength, 
It ain't divine. Trust me when I tell you, Kay's married to me, not by her strength. <laughs> that gal, like, callous knees, like, shock of and, and I'm better than some of the guys in the room. <clears throat> and who cares? What if I'm the best guy in the room? She needs Christ to love me. So if you're the worst guy in the room, your wife needs Christ to love you. And don't get me on the guys with the gals, or whichever way I didn't go. The other way works the same. <laughs> Allos, Allos in the Greek. That's right, got right there. Courageous people face and defeat personal fears. When you see those feels and you see those fears coming to make direction in your life, you say, ah, 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 I know this trap. Uh-uh. And in the power of Christ, you rise up and you grow some chest hair and you say, I'm not feeling, I'm not fearing. And that is courageous. And then you take territory in your own heart. That's what courageous people do. And then heroes come along and they say, hey, you know what? I'm pretty good at leaning into the power of Christ to take territory in my heart. I'm going to help someone else. Amen. Or a group of someone else's. And I'm going to be with them, for them, the image of Christ. And I'm going to rescue them out of the fears and the feels. And they're going to be free. Amen. Heroes breed heroes. Welcome to Beloved Church. Courage will make you say things offensive, live in ways unpopular, and obtain results uncommon. Heroes are not absent of fear. They're the ones who've gained mastery over fear. Just because you're a hero doesn't mean that you'll never face fear again. What it means is when fear dares to show its face, it goes away with a bloody nose. Heroes are not directed by their enemies. They are submitted to their father. Heroes fear God. That word fear is reverence, awe. Ephesians chapter 6, these are the three verses that I pre-warned you about, so if you were concerned, here you are. So just hold your breath, you'll be okay. Verses 10, 11, and 12, these are verses that we know well. I'm going to read through these verses, and then I'm going to go back, and I'm going to do some exegesis and break down some principles, and I, honestly, I'm on this journey too. These are some places that I've had distant views of in years past, but I'm starting to get some deep, deep clarity, but I haven't got it all figured out. So we'll go together, we'll journey together, and we'll come out on the other side. All of us are going to grow in revelation. We'll come out on the other side, we'll be able to share all the great revelation that we had together. I'm going to do this in the NLT. A final word. 
Now this is Ephesians 6, the last chapter of Ephesians, and Ephesians is, it was my favorite book for a long time. For a long time. If you ever want to really truly get a revelation of your identity, Ephesians and Colossians. Amen. You go through Ephesians and Colossians, you do it until you get your identity right. If you don't get it, read it again. And this is finally, so after he spent five chapters, five and a half chapters drilling in identity, application, he says, finally, now he's, this is like the point, the conclusion, like get this, a final word, be strong in the Lord, sacred, holy Lord, awesome Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. His mighty power. And I'm telling you, this has taken on new, new places in my own heart. The older I get, the more I, I revel in the fact that in my weakness is where he's strong. As soon as I think I'm smart, man, I'll tell you what, some person, usually one of these gals in my life will come along and show how stupid I am. All the gals are laughing. That's right. Because you know, that's why God put you on the earth. Adam, didn't you know you needed me? I, I really didn't. God had to tell you, hey, it's not good, buddy. Okay, whatever you say, lad. Bring on the woman. Whenever you think you got it figured out, man, watch out for that Mack truck at about 67 miles an hour drilled straight into your forehead. Just as soon as you think you get, you're strong enough, I can take it now. God, just go ahead and stand off to the side. I got it from here. This is my 14th marriage. I got this one. You're laughing, but we do that. Okay, I'm going to beat this temptation this time. I, I know I failed in all the other times, but I got a lot of, of, of really good self-teaching. I, I, I went to the, to the self-help seminar led by the super greasy-haired guy that smiles a lot with makeup. And he taught me how to be really good at self-help. And I've been, I've been looking in the mirror and saying, you're pretty and you're awesome and you can take on the world and I'm ready this time to finally beat this temptation. I have built up my strength. I've built up my self-discipline. And I'm going to win this time. All right, devil, come on, bring it. Wham. What happened? I, 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 I don't know. It's shocking. It was like the same thing that happened the other 747 times. So you're saying you can't, no matter how good you make you, you can't beat the entire kingdom of darkness by yourself. So it's almost like you need some help. I wonder where we could get some from. Verse 11, please. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on. 
and I'm not, this is not where the exegesis starts, but put on means you put on. I don't put on you. I don't dress you. Sorry, if you came to Beloved Church hoping that, that Miss Kay will take you down in the nursery and change your diaper and powder up your rear end and put you in your cool Christ onesie, that's not, that's not the church. We're not at that church. This ain't that church. You get dressed before you come. If you show up naked, I'm going to move on. Put on. The understood subject of this sentence is you put on. God, just, just put on me. No. God stands there with the armor and he says, here you go. Can you put it on? Buckle it up. Do it just right. Lord, serve me. Put on all. All of God's armor. You know the way this Roman, and I'm not going here yet. I'm actually not even going here. But the way this Roman armor was built, the, the specific armor that Paul is referring to, everything connected. You were missing a piece, you were missing it all. If you didn't have the belt of truth that hung the, hung the sword and your shield actually had a little clip that actually hung on your belt and your breastplate connected to and through, which went down and connected to all the stuff on your feet and your helmet had a thing on the back of it that if you ever got hit in battle and it flew off, it would stay connected and you could flip it back up and your helmet was back on. Every single part of this armor is connected to every single other part. So you don't just get truth figured out and you don't have righteousness. You have no armor. You either get all the armor or you have no armor. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against a few of the strategies. Top five, top ten. Does anybody know what all means in the Greek? All. All strategies of the devil. Notice it's strategies. Your enemy has strategies to defeat you. Now I know that you probably are agreeing. But here's how much you actually agree by faith that this is a true statement. What's your strategy to beat him? He's been working on a strategy for your life for 6,000 years. What have you been working on? What's your strategy? What do you got already worked out with your father? What are you going to go? How are you going to go into the battle? Or you just show up chewing bubble gum, swinging your sword? I'm here. Let's do it. You're dead. He don't play like that. He needs you gone. You're the only thing stopping him from ruling and reigning this earth. The church is the singular thing that is stopping the gates of hell from just puking their garbage all over this universe. It is only the church, the ecclesia, that is going to stop the gates of hell. That's you, beloved. Amen. He's got a strategy for this world. He wants every little boy to wear a dress and be destroyed. And you're stopping it. And we're going to go into this battle just doop-de-doo, hoping that we get it figured out mid-fight. You're dead. You're done. 
We'll pick you up. Jesus is gracious. He'll call the ambulance. We'll come in there, Red Cross. We'll pick your body up. We'll sew you back together, which is what most of Christianity is, a ton of broken people that just drag themselves into church on Sunday, and they're hoping to get a little bit and fix me up good and kick me down the street so I can limp through the rest of the week. This is what the world thinks that we are. The world literally thinks the reason you're here today is because you literally just can't handle life. You're such a broken little mousy person that you need that fake God to, to work some kind of mental magic to get through your week. That's what they think. And the reason they think that is because they know Christians. Right. <laughs> I got Bob making noises. I better... <sighs> Told myself I wasn't going to preach today. Put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm. Firm. Resolved. Strong. Immovable. Unshakable. Man, don't, wouldn't you rather be with those people? Wouldn't you rather surround yourself with a bunch of, with a bunch of unfailable, unshakable, Shakeable people. Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Twelve. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Everybody in here has probably said that. And you have no idea what you said. Because really, if I said, who's your enemy? Satan, because you're sitting in church. But if I ask you Tuesday at lunch, well, it's my boss, that guy. I love him in Jesus. No, you don't. It's those Democrats. It's the Republicans. The Republicans. It's the union. It's the bosses. It's the blacks. It's the whites. It's the... If you were to be honest, you would break this down into flesh and blood. Because we really don't know what that means. What do you mean not flesh and blood? You know, for a bunch of my marriage, Kay was my enemy. If she'd just do it right, we would have the best marriage ever. If she would just do things the way I wanted her to do stuff. My problem was Kay. Just like our problem is the government. And our problem are these politicians and the problems are, are the schools. That's our problem. Let's tear them all down. Let's get them. Anarchy. Burn it to the ground. Woo! Because our enemy is flesh and blood. So we just go kill some flesh and blood. We killed our enemy, right? We win. Let's go to glory. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I killed people in your name. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen of the unseen you know what we don't have in Christianity anymore? Unseen realms. We're just people on a natural planet doing natural stuff with natural other people hoping for natural stuff. The supernatural doesn't exist anymore. The unseen realm, the invisible, where God lives, the invisible God, 
That, that's like a concept. It's like, a, it's like ethereal. It's like, woo, there's a spirit world. Not, not in today's world. They know it in Africa because they got to deal with all the spiritual problems in Africa. We just take drugs and we're good to go. Man, that person looks like they're, they're crazy. Look at them walking around, homeless, talking to themselves. They're, they're crazy. They need some medication. They need some deliverance because that's a demon. And he's doing mean stuff. I'm sorry, do you know that over 50% of the healings that Jesus did was casting demons out of people? When's the last time someone came out and said, man, I feel, I feel terrible. I got a headache and a sore throat. Come out of him! You must go to Beloved. Authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What in the world are evil spirits doing in the heavenly places? Here's where we start our exegesis. So go back to 10, sis, please. In there it says his speaking about Jesus. That's the context here, Jesus. Just so you know, Jesus is the context of the Bible. If you don't see Jesus, you're missing the context. I'm not saying every verse points to him directly, but he's the context. The context, the central theme of all of Scripture is Christ, Jesus. His mighty power. His mighty power. Not yours. I'm not here to give you a spiritual exercise. I'm not, I'm not working on the, on the biceps of your discipline. The stronger you are in the flesh, the stronger you are in your mind, this is why a lot of intellectual people are some of the most lost. Because they lean onto their own understanding. Because if you can figure stuff out, like if you're good at math and you're good at numbers and you can do, and you can do money and you can figure out problems, a problem solver, that was what, that's what sucked me into the world because I was a good problem solver in my natural intellect. And so in the business world, if you're a good problem solver, they'll pay you tons of money. I made a six-figure income getting restaurants and fixing them. Steve was a fixer. Give Steve the broken restaurants. And at first I'd get really mad. I'd come home, okay, like they gave me unit 231. Like, ah, restaurant's so broken. And she's like, oh, I believe in you, honey. You're awesome. Or, Christ didn't use all, uh, what, she was perfect. I was messed up. Fine, I'll go fix 231. And it fixed it. Hey, Steve fixed it. Give him another one. <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> That's how the world will do you. Treat you like a slave. Give you some money, and you don't think you're a slave, right? <laughs> Flashbacks. Your power, all right, let me say this. Let's take Christ out of you. Can you heal a gnat? Let's take Christ out of you. Can you actually solve the problem with the right solution? Let's take Christ out of you. How great your marriage gonna be? I know your spouse, those of you that are looking at me all holy. 
Mm-hmm. Some of you, the only thing that you're hanging in there by a thread, and that thread's name is Jesus. Amen. Me too. Well, anything that you think about you is the mighty power that's making stuff work in your life. God bless your foolish little sub. In the South, we say, bless your darling heart. It's his mighty power. Now, this word mighty power is unique because it's the word krakos. I, I just love saying it. Krakos. It's actually a god in, in Greek mythology. Krakos, kraken. And krak, krakos or kraktos is, literally talks about um, divine supernatural power. And here, I'll make sense of this. It's, hard, it's so hard to define that the only way to define it is to use scripture to interpret scripture. That's one of the ways that we do exegesis, y'all. If your definition of something is not defined in scripture, then you don't have God's definition of it. God defines his things in scripture. He'll tell you what it means. And specifically this one in Ephesians 1.20, this is the resurrection power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Kratos. So this isn't just power. This isn't just like, hey, did you see that? Like I bench pressed 100 or 1,000 or whatever a good number is. This is God used his power to raise Christ Jesus from the dead. Now think about this. Jesus legally was dead. Satan owned him. He gave the power, he submitted himself unto death. He said, death, you can rule me. The power that came into his lifelessness to make him alive is a power unknown of, unheard of, unfathomable until that moment. God literally created, supernaturally created a power in that moment that even Satan wasn't ready for. And that's the power that his mighty power in you is referencing. This isn't you just getting better. This isn't just shining you up a little bit. I've been a Christian 20 years. Look, I sin less. This is his power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. When God spoke, and I know the exact words that he said, he said, this day have I begotten you, beloved son. And that life left the father's mouth and hit Jesus in hell, and hell has been having dirty diapers ever since. You just say the name of Jesus and hell goes, ooh, Mufasa. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. This is the power of me versus the power of he. This is the power of me versus the power of thee. If you're looking at a situation, a circumstance, a problem, and the first thing you think is, well, I can do this and do that, and I can take this pill, and, I can, and I'll fix it. It's in the power of me. But if you have a problem that comes and presents itself to you 
and you're like, okay, I could, but Lord, Lord, what would you like to do with this situation? Amen. Now you've got the power of he, the power of thee. God's armor creates this firm stance in verse 11. And notice in verse 11, it's not here in the NLT, but it actually says against, if you look at 11 and 12, don't go to 12, but 11 and 12, unless you can put them both up, I don't know if you can, but if you can put up 11 and 12, if you'll see them, there's three places in the NLT, but if you've got a King James, there's four places that uses the word against. Now, you and I don't talk this way. We would say, you know, I, I, I'm coming to wrestle against Bob and against Craig and against uh, Justin and against Larry. You, you wouldn't put against. You'd put Bob, Craig, Justin, Larry. I'm coming to wrestle against. But he specifically used the word against four different times in the interlinear to point out each of these four things is a specific against, which means you have a very specific way that you need to lean into the power of Christ against each of these four designating spiritual forces. This word for against is the Greek word pros, P-R-O-S, and it literally means to stand face to face in op opposition to. It literally means to look your enemy eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose. Instead of cowering, like most people do in their problems and their situations. Oh, pray for me. Get 100 people on the prayer chain, pray for me. I don't know what I'm going to do about this problem. This is the person like, I got a problem. And you stand face to face. Christ is on the inside of me. Let's go, bucko. I'll be your huckleberry. The word strategies in 11 is the word metados. And some of you know this word because we've used uh, some of this in, in previous teachings, which is meta and dos. Meta means to change, like metamorphosis. When I talk about repentance, I use the word metaneo. Meta means to change completely change, and neo is the center of the thinking. So real repentance is to change the center of your thinking. It's not to say you're sorry. Sorry is not repentance. Sorry, sorry. And it's usually pretty sorry. I don't want your sorry. Repentance is what I would rather have. If you, if you do something terrible to me, please don't apologize. I don't want your apology. Just change. Just change. I'll see the repentance in your life and my heart will be blessed. But if you just come up to me, you know, mom used to tell us when, when I'd beat up all my brothers, <laughs> go apologize to your brothers. Fine. Sorry, jerk. <laughs> right? Because that's what you do. Because mom told you to. There wasn't no sorry in you. There was no repentance. Meta dos means to change, and then the ados is the road or the way to get there. So 
In strategies, this means that the enemy has literally tried to change the way that your road goes. Alternative roads, exits, different, different paths, different journeys. That's his strategy is to get you off the road, to get you out of the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, to get you out of the way into a way. Right? Any, all the roads lead back to God, right? You, you can get saved in any religion. You can have any. There, there's, there's many ways to God. I can sit in a deer stand and worship. Uh, you, you didn't hear the first part. Not, not you, you, I love you. You're, shoot a deer, please, in my name. I, I don't. You really need to listen to the rest of it. <laughs> Ryan, I was in a deer stand yesterday. Is he talking about me? No. He, he wants you to change the way that God puts you on the road. And usually he offers something that's just right off to the side. An access road. That's just right there. It, it's going the same way, right? This road's going this way. This road's going this way. And this one's got pretty trees on it. That would be what God wants me to do, right? He wants me to be on a road with the pretty trees because this one's just a regular road. And I think there's enemies down there. And are those potholes? Why would God want me on this road? He would totally want me on the pretty tree line road. Because the enemy comes to you as an angel of light. This means deception, confusion, elaborate tricks, fraudulence, fraudulence. Think about that word based upon what just happened a couple weeks ago. Fraudulence. This is the enemy's tactics. You know, he doesn't come up to you with a big, with a big hammer in his underwear. Sorry. Sorry, that slipped out. I repent. I bring it back. He doesn't come to you with a big sword or a gun and he says, I will in, in the name of Satan take you out. That's not how he comes. He comes with these strategies, with these things that, it, well, this wouldn't be Satan. This isn't how Satan rolls. He wouldn't be nice to me. He wouldn't do fun things for me. Satan wouldn't give me a raise. This must be God. You know how many people I've seen leave their destiny, their divine destiny for a job? Well, this company wants me to go over here. I know, I'm one person I'm thinking of right now, family of six, in a good, healthy church with good, healthy spiritual leaders, got a job for $5 more an hour in a different state, moved, they're divorced, and one of their kids have committed suicide. Five bucks an hour. That's all it took. That's all the enemy took to get that person was five bucks an hour. You know, he'd rather get you on discount. And for some people, it's easy. Notice small d, devil. I'm about to mess with a bunch of people's theology. Please stay with me. I'm going to drop some bombs. I'm going to leave the mushroom cloud there. I'm going to move on. We'll spend the rest of our times together because you're going to be a part of our church for the rest of your life, and I'll start to unpack some of this stuff as we get deeper. But it's small d, devil. Not big d, devil. Because we always think that all of our problems are big d, devil, big s, Satan. Nope. Just so you know, devil is actually an adjective. It's a descriptor. 
It's a kind. Small d devil is a compound word, diabolos. Anybody that knows Spanish, you've heard that. Diabolos. Dia in Greek means to penetrate. And balo is to cast out or throw. When Jesus would cast out demons, the Greek word was ekbalo. He would grab and throw out demons with his words. You can know you can do that. You can grab and throw out the things of the enemy. So the diablo is to penetrate by throwing. What that actually it draws a picture, it means to throw and to throw and to throw and to throw and to throw until it penetrates. What is he throwing? Accusations. You're a loser. You're stupid. You ain't never going to make it. You're always going to be a, a, a failure. You're always going to be an addict. You're always going to be a terrible spouse. You're always going to be, you're always going to be, you're always going to be, and then eventually it penetrates. You're like, fine. I'm a divorcee. It's my name. It's my identity. I'm just stupid. Accusations until you accept them. Dia Balo. Dia Balo. That's the devil. You know, this same word is used about people, the accuser. You know, this is why one of the seven deadly sins in, in uh Catholicism, you know what the seventh is? If you go read Proverbs chapter six, it's the, it says, these things, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. You know what the seventh thing is that turns it from things that God hates to an abomination? The accuser of the brethren. You know, when you go home and have roast pastor for lunch, when you talk about that, did you see that person in worship? Mm-hmm. Faker. Every accusation that you have against a brother and a sister is you being Diabolos. <laughs> I'd encourage you to not be like the devil. There's one person you're supposed to be like, and it ain't him. And then it says to fight. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. This word fight is pale, P-A-L-A, P-A-L-E. And this is a very specific kind of fighting which includes boxing and wrestling. And in their society, in the Greek society there, boxing wasn't like what you and I with gloves on so to, and with face masks to try to do the least amount of damage. They actually had gloves on that had steel and knives in them and stakes in them and no helmets. And boxing in their time was who died. If you died, you lost. Figure it out. And so that's what this word is connotating. And then wrestling wasn't like our wrestling where the, where the ref stands over you. I, when, I was, when I was in Bible college, I had a, a friend of mine, one of my, our good friends in Bible college. We were a couple friends. And, and the guy was a, uh, he was a state wrestler or something, right? He went to state for wrestling. And so one time we were, we were, this is before we had kids, we were still stupid and I'd like fun if you haven't noticed that about me. And so we were in uh, one of our apartments and so I'm like, hey, you wrestling? He's like, yeah, I wrestle. I'm like, I wrestle too. I have big brothers. They used to wrestle me all the time. He's like, well, let's go. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we pulled the end table out and got, got Kay on one side and, and she's walking around holding round one sign. 
and Cheryl was on the other side, get him, honey, get him. And they were newly married, and, and we've been married like three years, so we were super mature. And so, so we're going to wrestle. And stinking dude was fast and quick and strong and knew all these like contorty things. Well, that's not how my brothers wrestled. They didn't do contorty things. That's not wrestling. I don't know what that was. And so I just picked him up and threw him on the ground and hurt him real bad. And he's laying on the ground. And he goes, you can't do that. It's against the rules. There's no rules in wrestling. You win. That's the rule. And come to find, Aaron is a wrestling uh, ref. There's lots of rules in wrestling. I didn't know there was rules in wrestling. Nobody taught me the rules. In Greco-Roman wrestling, their kind, there's no rules. You're naked on purpose so you can go for anything you need to go for. And the purpose is to win. That's this word for fighting. It literally mixes this kind of wrestling with this kind of boxing. So when they're saying fight, they mean use anything at your disposal in whatever condition you are to kill your enemy. So many people kind of deal with, with Satan like, okay, whew, he left me alone. The headache left. Good to go. No, the headache left. Which way did he go? Get my gun, honey. I'll shoot him in the back. I'll bite, I'll kick, I'll scratch, I'll kick in the knee. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say that if you've read through this, especially in the King James, the Lord literally said this to me. He said, what's missing when I was studying this? This is just lately. This is fresh off the presses, y'all. And I said, man, I don't know. You got, you got rule, evil rulers. You got authorities of the unseen realm. You got mighty powers of the dark world. And you got evil spirits in the heavenly places. I'm like, I think that covers it. He said, what's missing? And, I, and, I, and I've been drilling out the Greek on this in the inner linear. And I'm like, I'm drilling. I'm like, Lord, what are, where are you going with this? You know what's missing? Demons. There's no demons in this list. The things we're supposed to be fighting, wrestling with, we're not. And the one thing that God didn't list that you're supposed to be fighting with and wrestling with is the one thing that we spend most of our times on if you actually believe there is a supernatural realm. Been fighting these demons. I've been so demonized. All these demons are coming after me. You know how Jesus dealt with demons? He didn't wrestle with them. Find me one page in the Gospels where Jesus wrestled with a demon. Like, fight to the death. No, he's like, you, gone. You, into the pigs. All of you, into the pigs. Now, off with your snorts. I don't, my, I lost, I don't have any good words anymore. I used my one good word at the beginning. Now I'm done. <clears throat> Evil rulers is the first one here. And this is the Greek word archaeus, or ark. This is where we get archangels, which means the highest angels. Archaeus means the highest in command. So this is kind of like a delineation of, 
the, of the way that the kingdom of darkness works. It's the high down to the low. And notice what's not even listed, demons. They're lower than the low. And we struggle with these things. Evil rulers, Archaeus. I'm gonna, there's, here's one of my bombs, I'm gonna drop it and move on. In the Old Testament, there's so many places that talk about sons of God. This goes into, Bob's gonna love this part. This goes into um, Genesis chapter six, where it says that the sons of God came down, had sex with the, with the daughters of men, and they end up having Nephilim. This goes into uh, Genesis chapter 11 and 10, where it talks about the table of nations, that God literally had to divide out the table of nations, and he put, the, he put gods, sons of God, small g gods, in charge of every different nation, 70 or 72 nations, depending on how you uh, interpret the scriptures, were in charge by 70 or 72 small g gods. This is why the Canaanites had a god, the Moabites had a god, everybody had a god back in those days, like, all we got is Jesus. They all had their own personal gods. This is why different religions have to have their deities, their entities, because each one represented a small g god that was broke out, and God actually took Abraham. That's why Abraham is in Genesis chapter 12. He took Abraham. God took one man. He divided up all the nations, and then he took one man unto himself, and from that one man built a whole nation, just like Jesus came, and one man came and defeated all the nations, got all power and all authority, and then from that one man, he produced a nation. Hello, beloved. Small g gods. These are the rulers of actual places. These are actual small g gods that really exist. I'm sorry, this is nuking a bunch of people. I just thought there was the devil. Oh, God, no. There's a devil, and there's a, a Satan, Hasatan, is what it actually says in the, in the Hebrew. There's Hasatan. There's not capital S Satan. There's not capital D devil. These are things that they do to you. I'm going to move on. If you, if you don't like that one, then read uh, Psalm chapter 89, Psalm chapter 82, Daniel chapter 9 and 10, uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, Isaiah chapter 28. It is just all over the scripture and we've missed it. Amen. The next one is authorities in the unseen realm. And all of this together is the word exousia. This is where we get the word authority. A police officer has a badge and a gun. Gun, Krakos, crack. Badge, authority, exousia. If a police officer says, hey, in the name of the Lena Police Department, I command you to pull over, you listen. If you don't listen, you get the gun. The authority is the right to use the gun. These are evil rulers, and authorities of the unseen realm. In the unseen realm, there are entities that have authority to do stuff. For example, if you say, um, I'm going to spend all day looking at porn, then there's authorities that get to say, hey, hold on, he planted this stuff in his heart. We get to use this as much as we want because he submitted to it. He allowed it to happen. They can actually go to God and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We get, we get this because they submitted to it. And based upon spiritual authority, they did this. This is why you 
uh, monitoring your behaviors, monitoring your words, monitoring your actions are so important because you'll give authority to something that should never have authority in your life. That's what you're supposed to be wrestling against. Mighty powers in this dark world. This is one of my fun. This is Cosmo Crater, which we've already done Kratos, so you know what that is, and you add to it Cosmo. Cosmo means the cosmos, the cosmic. We, we use these words, but we're like, well, those people are talking about cosmic stuff. Yeah, so it's the Bible. Right. The cosmic powers that exist, that's the third one, mighty powers in this dark world. And so what they're talking about is in the cosmos of the dark world, there are these powers that if you give authority up in your life, they get to do stuff to you. Uh, 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 an example is, is if, you, if you use meth enough, you'll be one of those people that have the picture of the before and after what meth did. What did it do? It literally destroyed their bodies and ate holes in them and knocked their teeth out. Did, they, those are powers that affected their physical bodies because they gave up authority in that drug use to those powers. Yep. This is where, and I don't have time for this. I have to skip this. There's a really important part here that I really want to get into, and I'll skip it. So someone remind me, i got to come back. And then the last one is spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is pneumaticos poneros. Pneumaticos, you might hear English in there, pneumatic, which, and it's also pneumonia. This means spirit. Pneuma is spirit or breath. That's why uh, pneumonia is the affecting of the lungs. You can't breathe right. Pneumonia, pneumatic, spirit, breath. <clears throat> this is the last one that's on there, and this is literally like spiritual winds, spiritual breath from evil places that, that do this poneros stuff, and poneria is evil and wicked pain resulting in toil and misery. Evil and wicked pain resulting from toil and misery. Stress. Life. So as you get all wrapped up into the problems and the stress and the pain of life, they get to breathe these winds and these breaths over your life and literally do damage to you from the spirit realm. This is why Jesus wants us to rest in him. I'm going to give you real quick, I can do this in three minutes. Don't. Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18, then Jesus came and said to them, this is the very end of Matthew, this is our Lord, who did Krakos power, resurrection power, the original Krakos power. Then Jesus came and said to them, his, his disciples, those of you in this room that are actually in discipleship, God bless you, this is what he's speaking to disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you're understanding why he said this. He literally took authority from these other four places. He took all authority, heaven and earth. Why did he have to say this if he already had it? I've had so many people, well, he already had that. He was just telling them. Well, then what did he die for? He took this all by conquest. 
He took every power, every authority from every place as far up as you can get and as far down as you can go. He took it all. And then he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Nations. God cares about nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even unto the end. This always kind of bothered me. If he's got all power and all authority, why we got to go make disciples and teach people? Why don't we just come in there and say, I have authority? Because this is how we exercise his authority. By learning, growing into disciples, understanding his words, letting his words resonate in us, letting his spirit be our spirit. This is how we allow his power to be exercised in all of these places and all of these realms. He's the one with all power and all authority. We are the ones with delegated authority. I don't get to just go into any of these realms and say, in the name of Steve, I'm here. Back off, buddy. They're going to say, name of Steve? <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, get a load of this one, demon friend. His Steve's here. Ooh. <laughs> We're so scared. But when Steve walks in the room, I walk in and I say, hey, you better act right in the name of Jesus. My great big brother, who's 10,000 foot tall, standing behind me with a loaded gun and a big fist. And then all the demons go, yes, sir. What would you like us to do? Leave. And then Jesus said, mm, you heard the boy. He said it in my name. It's delegated authority. Here's why that's important. If you try to use delegated authority on things that you're not delegated to, oh, oh boy. You know how many people do this? God, save my brother right now. Save him. Get him, God. Save him. God, you know, how, you know how that boss is doing me. Make him die or not die, but as close to die as dying without dying. Do that to him. God, get him. I don't have authority for that. You don't have authority for that. Know how many of your prayers you don't even have authority to utter? Here's the two places that believers always have authority. Always. Number one, you. You. You know, you could just probably just stay there for the rest of eternity. Just rule over you. Just make you, you know, we're so worried about everybody else. I just wish Tabitha would get it figured out. All day long, I'm worried about Tabitha getting it figured out. I pray for her. I think about her. I stomp her on my house. I tell Kay how terrible Tabitha is. And she never gets it figured out. <laughs> and then Kay sweetly comes along. She says, you know, you could probably work on you. Well, get thee behind me, woman. <laughs> you know, you have authority over you. Not me. I know some of you hate it. Sorry. Not your dog. Not the government. Not politics. Not your favorite movie star, not your, whatever you got. You got authority over you. And you're not even exercising that. You think God's going to give you something bigger than you. Man, I hope you heard that because I'm out of time. I can't go there. If you can't rule you, God is never going to let you be in leadership in his kingdom. 
Oh boy. Number two, you have two places of authority. One, you, two, wherever God gives you authority to go. That's why you have to, in the name of Jesus, in the nature, honor, essence, authority, and character of Jesus. This is the only two places you have authority, you and wherever Jesus sends you. So you need to stay out of places you shouldn't be. Keep your big beak to yourself. Keep your opinions to yourself. Maybe it ain't none of your business how Ryan sings. Maybe he's gonna do the songs that Jesus told him to do. Maybe they're gonna teach in the nursery what they need to teach. Maybe it ain't none of your business. <laughs> now, if Jesus sends you in there, just so you know, I've had people come to church, Jesus sent me to the church to help you. <laughs> well, he didn't tell me. You think he'd tell me? Wouldn't he tell me? I think so. How about I just come into your house and tell you how to rearrange your house and tell you what to do with your finances and stomp around for a while, sit on a couch, say, now bring me some Doritos. <laughs> Hopefully you're not a Second Amendment house because I'm going to be reconsidering my purpose of life. <laughs> Heroes operate in divine delegated authority through humility and boldness. Heroes rely completely on intimacy with Jesus and how and when to use his authority. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a part two because there's something in here that changed my life that I don't get to do that I want to talk, talk about the centurion. And I can't do it today, so everybody relax. But the centurion figured this out. And Jesus said he had the greatest expression of faithfulness of anybody that he ever physically met. And there is a powerful truth for us all to get from that instance that I wanna talk about. So next time, I won't say next week because I did this last time and then got jacked. So next time I get to do the hero within, we're gonna talk about the centurion and give you some examples of how delegated authority works so that you can have application for it. So I. That was the best that I can do at this moment of growth in doing some exegesis. I hope it was okay. I, I want to be more than just a preacher. I want to be able to teach sometimes, and, and preach always wants to come out, so you guys just keep, keep encouraging me to be better at teach and preach. Just pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for Kay. Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you. 
and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.